That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome to Hit Point Pals, where we gather to nerd out about video games and the culture of play. I am Travis Lean. I'm joined again today by Caleb Warwick. Hello. As well as Rebecca Markley. Hello, friends. And today we are talking about headshots. What are they? Where did they come from? How do we talk about them? Are they like the pictures that you take when you're about to become like a famous actor or something? No. What kind of headshots are they, Travis? Actually, when we were talking about headshots, originally, I definitely was thinking like portraits and I was like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> what? How I, does this relate to games? We're going to be talking about a YouTube video. I'll link this. It's called Rationalizing Brutality, the Cultural Legacy of the Headshot. And it's a really good explainer video by a guy named Jacob Geller. And he's really kind of summarizing the work of a writer named Amanda Phillips, who wrote a piece called Shooting to Kill, Headshots, Twitch Reflexes and the mecropolitics of video games. Uh, she kind of comes up with this term mecropolitics to talk about the mechanics of video games and shooting in video games and how that correlates to real life. And it's also kind of a play on like necropolitics or like the politics of who lives and who dies, I guess. I don't know if that's the best summary of necropolitics, but we're talking mm -hmm. about mecropolitics. I was definitely overwhelmed with just like the amount of like headshots that were in the video that just sort of like kept going like the whole time, you know? I just, it was like over and over and over again. And as someone who doesn't play games with a lot of headshots in them, I was like, oh my gosh, that was, mm -hmm. it was, it was just like way more than I had like originally bargained for. And it wasn't like super upsetting, but I was just kind of like, horrified yeah. okay um so one one reason i wanted to talk about this is because like i am a huge fan of esports i guess like over the mm -hmm. past couple weeks especially i've had some time and i've spent quite a bit of time watching um overwatch league which is wrapping up its second or the last stage of its second season this weekend um one of the most exciting things in uh overwatch league is to see widowmaker duels and that character has come back into the meta, thankfully, um, this uh, stage. And so we've got to see some some really cool and high-level uh, Widowmaker play, which Widowmaker is like the sniper character in that game. Um, she can, you know, click on people's heads. Uh, she has a grappling hook, too, so you can get some really cool um, mobility where, like, a, a, a really cool trick to see pro, pro players do is, like, grapple to a high surface and, like, as they're flying through the air, headshot someone. Like, that's probably the coolest thing that you can see happen in an Overwatch League game. Um, that always gets a lot of cheers from the arena and a lot of great vocal reactions from the commentators. So when we're talking about headshots here, I, in, in this, the start of this video, Jacob Giller kind of frames this as well as amanda phillips in in her works i guess i'll just kind of we're talking about a couple these two couple things interchangeably i guess they kind of center the origin of of the headshot in popular culture and as we know it today around the assassination of jfk 
Um, and this is weird to me because, like, as a 90s kid, I guess, growing up in this world where video games are a thing and headshots are a thing, and so, like, it's never been weird to me. It's, like, it's weird to look back and say that, like, films before the 60s didn't have, like, the capability to do... Uh, to like portray headshots realistically and such and so like killing people with guns in films pretty much before the 60s was always like people would get shot in the body and there was also this sort of um the, like like different cultural norms right about showing violence showing gore and stuff things were a bit more pg yeah things were a bit more pg and then kind of as I think, like, a couple of different things. One, like, the assassination of JFK kind of put this violent imagery into the public in a whole new light. And then, two, people were able to come up with new technologies like squibs and, like, visual effects. And so, like, people would want to portray violence more realistically in films. And audiences really loved seeing people get, like, shot in the head in films, it turned out. Um, and one of the things they ask is like, are when people are when when people love seeing this in films, does that kind of indicate that like we have like we're we as people just have a really good understanding of the difference between fiction and nonfiction? Like we know we're not seeing people get shot in the head, and like like Django Unchained, for instance, I just remember being in a cinema, and there's a great scene towards the end of that movie. Where Django comes into a room full of people and he shoots them in all sorts of places. The head, the limbs, the crotch for one guy who's in a bathtub. Um, and that scene like drew so many cheers and it, it's like, like we, we know it's fiction. And so we can like, we can cheer for it and we can laugh at it and we can be really excited about it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how brutality, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. One game I could think of off the top of my head um, that, like, epitomizes that, like, brutality type situation, like, headshot, you know, like, limb shot, and, you know, ripping someone in half. I, I guess aside from Mortal Kombat, it's like, um, have, you ever, have you guys ever heard of the game Bulletstorm? Mm-mm. Bulletstorm, personally, I grew up playing that game. I really liked it. I still like it. I kind of want to play it again. But, um... Yeah, Bulletstorm is just this, like, goofy shooter where um, it rewards you for um, different types of kills you could put or, you know, execute on people. Whether it's, like, the headshot, whether it's, like, ripping somebody in half, whether it's, like, um, the nut shot even, and um, stuff like... It's, it's really interesting because, like, it has this, like, slow motion situation where, you know, um, you get rewarded for those types of kills and such, and... Um, I grew up playing that, you know, I was pretty young when I played that game, but um, it has some interesting aspects and parallels to, like, how we treat um, brutality in, like, you know, movies and uh, video games and, like, you know, the other one off, off the top of my head with gore and brutality in general, not necessarily just headshots, would be, you know, Mortal Kombat and uh, Gears of War would be another one, um, just kind of, like, over the top, I guess. But then you think of, like, um, more, I guess, gritty ones. I guess you could call all the other ones gritty, but um, another one would be Rainbow Six, um, because they tried to uh, lean you in the direction of accuracy, of shooting for the head, one-shot kill always, over anything else, you know, stuff like that. So I just think it's kind of interesting to see the portrayal of um, not only headshots and brutalities, um, but between video games and... Um, movies and media stuff 
what do you think that the um the the like the dialogue that we have around the headshotting games like Rainbow Six for instance um and the sort of way that we valorize those sort of twitch reflexes says about our culture and like gun violence in real life or like does it say anything I can't say it doesn't say anything because you know I don't I don't know personally but I guess how I see it I don't really see it as anything I you know I personally don't own a gun I don't you know I don't participate in active you know like gun shows or anything like that but um <sighs> Um, I, when I play Rainbow Six, I just see it as, like, a reward of accuracy that I outplayed the other player. Um, that's literally all I see it as, and that's all of my other free friends. I guess I'm speaking for them, but, like, um, that's usually how they see it as well, too. They don't really see it as anything else other than that, like, a reward of accuracy in general. Whether it be, like, you're playing Rocket League and, you know, hit the ball, crazy shot, or, like, because we played a lot of competitive games as well, so it's just like w another, um, I guess, form of competitiveness. Um, it's just zeros and ones, you know. That's all it is to me, anyways. I'm gonna, I want to bring this around to like the conclusion that mm -hmm. the video sort of ends on, and the, sort of the conclusion Amanda Phillips talks about. Um, to sort of frame this discussion that we're going to have. Rebecca, is there anything you want to add before I kind of try to summarize the rest of the video? I mean, I guess I don't particularly think that there's like a, I mean, obviously that there's not like a, a, like a statistical correlation between video games and like gun violence, but I do feel like, you know, just like the media informs our own, like the media that we consume and informs and sort of like colors our perceptions and our, um, just sort of like understanding of the world that we like move through. And that's just how meaning works. And like, that's how, you know, and it, and it happens simultaneously and like reinforces itself. And so I think that there, you know, there's not like, you know, it's not going to like cause anybody who wasn't already going to do something terribly violent. But I do think that it sort of provides almost like a moral cover to just sort of like let stuff, I guess, like violent violence within cultures kind of get normalized because it's like oh it's just kind of like this baseline level of of, of violence that we're just sort of exposed to regularly um i guess i did have a question because i wanted to hear what you thought about um um travis what you were saying about like sort of like fact versus fiction and i just like want to know if like the more realistic portrayals of violence I guess if those are like more, I guess more challenging to differentiate between fact and fiction, or if just like really like over the top, like brutal stuff is easier or harder to differentiate between fact or fiction. Yeah, I think there are patterns in the way that blockbuster movies are shot and edited. I think we in like we're able to recognize these patterns where like in a Marvel movie, we know that there's like not a ton of weight to any of the action sequences, whereas uh, Spielberg, if we're looking at like Saving Private Ryan, for instance, in the D-Day scene, he really puts an emphasis on like the like viscera and the guts and the gore of, of what's going on in that scene. I guess there's also the added layer of like that's supposed to be replicating a, a real life event that happened during World War II. 
Um, <laughs> and then like I, I there's a there's a mockumentary called Man Bites Dog where um, there's this famous French mockumentary where these these kids are like making a documentary following around a serial killer. And I think the way that that movie is is filmed and the uh, sort of found footage style of that movie gives it a lot of like, uh, it, like it elicits a strong reaction of disgust when you see a lot of like the the gory imagery and the images of this guy like murdering people and cutting them up and and all of that. It's just like I feel like it's all in the presentation and we like the way that action scenes are filmed and shot is mm-hmm. very different from like like the the d-day scene in saving private ryan or like other other focuses on brutality um like the um like the loot train attack at uh towards the uh not towards the end in uh, season seven of game of thrones mm-hmm. and the way that they portray um the dragon fire scorching people burning uh the hair off of their skulls and sort of uh turning to ash even that maybe crosses into like a little bit comedic but um i guess it's all up to interpretation but like Mm -hmm. i like yeah i mean like even in like one show like game of thrones there's a big difference between like one of the kind of weightless action sequences where like jamie lannister and braun are fighting the sand snakes and then like (laughs) daenerys's (laughs) dragon who is like murdering people and it's like brutal and horrific one thing, uh, one game that I can think of off the top of my head that uh, rewards um, stealth and uh, non-lethal situations is Metal Gear Solid Five. That game rewards you more um, based off of like first not being seen and two like not killing people. I typically always go the route of just like you know knocking them out, just going in undetected, anyways, or just like putting them to sleep. Because, like, it's really weird because it, like, when you go up behind somebody, it gives you the option to, like, get some dialogue out of them because they'll put their gun down and, like, surrender, basically. Um, and so you can, like, tell them to go on the floor and then just, like, knock them out. Um, but you can kill them. They always try to, like, make it, like, make the enemy or whatever seem, like, human anyways. Because you're going, and and, and ground zero anyways, you're going into... Guantanamo Bay, so it's like they're U.S. soldiers, but like you have to sneak in anyways and um, extract a prisoner. So all these people are just like having ca- casual conversation about like you know what's going on at the base, how their days have been, stuff like that. You know, so it's it's really interesting. But... What about going the non-lethal way is more rewarding? Well, I mean it in the literal sense of like in the game you get more rewards and a better rating if you go non-lethal. Um, mostly because, like, you know, if you kill somebody, they'll find a body and they'll freak out and call more guards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if you knock them out, they'll just literally go to sleep with the train gun so you can hear them snoring and stuff. So the guards will be like, hey, like, wake up. <laughs> they won't see you, you know, they won't know what hit them because they, you just hit them with a train gun. They'll wake up like, what the hell happened? And you have less of a chance to be known as a presence there. And plus, like, um, there's just a lot of benefits of not having somebody or not killing a bunch of people because you could extract information out of the people that you knock out and stuff like that. So 
I think it's interesting the more routes they give you for the non-lethal route, but they also give you this whole load of arsenal for a lethal route. Um, I want to look at aside from like moral choices. I want to look at, I like I want to look at presentation where headshots and lethality are the only choice, such as mm-hmm. in a Call of Duty game or in an esports presentation. Mm-hmm. And the way that we sort of, uh, the the way that we 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 really reward and praise the esports athletes for their ability to use the game's mechanics to um shoot people and kill them as quickly and efficiently as possible. One framing that I think is really interesting is like, we of course I think we 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 really need to look at, and this is sort of the the what the video ends on is we really need to look at the culture around police brutality, police shootings that are motivated by hate and by racism, uh, the killing of Michael Brown in 2014, and the Black Lives Matter movement that has sprung from that. That isn't a conversation that was around, I really, like, at least not in the same capacity when I was growing up. And so, like, to see that sort of really spring into the, the culture, I think, has been really fascinating to watch. I think that we should look at the way that the media and local news stations really do a lot of propaganda work for police and the way that like local news stations just kind of will non-critically disseminate information from their like local police stations because they just need to like fill content and they want to like appear community friendly and in support of local police uh, a common thing that you'll see on the local news nowadays is like social media oriented like uh, like wholesome cop stuff right cops saved like a dog or a kitten or whatever or like cops did the lip sync challenge in their police cars and that, the way that this sort of uh, police propaganda starts emerging from the police themselves as sort of a response to the backlash against police post Black Lives Matter. A a really common and frequent segment that you'll see on local news stations is like a news anchor did like a ride along with a cop or something or like went out to a shooting range with them and like went through some sort of cop training program where they, 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 they really learn like how difficult it is to make split second decisions and then we go back to this conversation about like twitch reflexes and the way that gamers who are playing shooters are expected to have these twitch reflexes the way that software like fps aim trainer uh or like osu even the like clicking rhythm game are are there to kind of help uh build reaction times and that sort of like instantaneous movement of the cursor of the crosshairs to enemies heads and the way that like cops shoot a lot of black people and that sort of gets passed off as they had to make a split second decision right or just a a lot of people in general yeah i definitely have so many thoughts but um it's it's interesting that when you i feel like you look at the the larger sort of like issue of police violence you know a gift there's the one frame where they had to make a split second decision and you know like it it was it was this or that because they perceive you know a threat of violence from this 
black person on the other side of the gun when that doesn't necessarily happen. Like they aren't, they don't find themselves in situations where twitch reflexes are important when it is a person who is white on the other side of the gun um, or in the car or because I feel like when you just like, for example, like like Dylan Roof, um, when he shot up the the church and you know he was brought out alive like if, if that had been like any other person of like you know darker skin color that probably wouldn't have happened um just because like they don't perceive you know i guess police aren't and because we've like been conditioned in a like a white supremacist society to just see black people and brown people as threats and so they go into like oh i have to make these split second decisions when like that that is a not a narrative that's usually presented when um the the person who is committing violence as is, is a white person or the person who's just standing innocently at their car um and says why do you want to uh, you know why are you arresting me one of the things Amanda Phillips says is that twitch reflexes are inherently based on prejudice mm-hmm. in real life. That and also like I guess if you're thinking about it in like a game concept, then like it would be your sort of prejudice against the people who are coded as as enemies and the way that you just want to snap to them and silence them instantly. The red people compared yeah. to the blue people. I thought it was interesting the comparison or just like talking about the headshot in like a clinical way um, was like a really interesting way to just sort of like sort of like dehumanize the experience. I thought that the way that he kind of set up the the medical aspect of it was really weird and I'm not sure I even fully believe that although I think it makes sense (laughs) that like people back then i guess assumed that like personhood more revolved around the heart and then i guess doctors one day decided that like you could do heart transplants and stuff so obviously personhood had to be in the brain and then the way that like culture sort of started to change in the thought about like personhood and the location of personhood within a body i guess I also feel like that's kind of aided along by the enlightenment and sort of, sort of the separation of like body and mind, um, mm-hmm. where you know the, the the body is this 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 sort of like imperfect thing that like breaks down and it's less important. But like our minds are like incredible and they can do so many things and there's just sort of like that um, sort of like dichotomy between you know body physicality and then like the brain um and like rational thought being like so important um mm-hmm. i know i feel but- like that starts a little bit before the like it, it was talking about like the timeline in the video but um i i thought that was like an interesting comparison um but the heart is where all the love is though I mean, meta- like metaphorically, obviously, but I don't think that people have actually thought that the heart was just like gonna... that super important yeah. as far as like personhood has gone for quite some time. I wonder um, if they'll be saying the same thing if we could do brain transplants in the future. Like, what's personhood then? Your shell? Yeah, that would be that would be crazy. I don't I mean, want to think about we'll, that. Uh, we'll all be uploaded to the cloud like a brainiac. So. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. 
Let's. No, thank you. I'm. I'm just like, just now thinking because that was like the plot of Black Ops Three. No, that's the plot of, of Brainiac and Superman. So whatever Black Ops is doing is ripping off. Yeah. That. Another part of the video I thought was really interesting was the way that he talks about um, gun play in games and how it's really simplified to this like natural extension of the body. Uh, when you have first person shooters, you have this view where, um, especially in kind of the older and more primitive ones, and still to an extent nowadays, it, it's mostly just like a dude, he's got his arms out and he's just he's just got a gun. And like, that's who he is, right? He's a person, he's got arms and he's got a gun and your mouse or your, or your thumbsticks control the view, your trigger, uh, controls when he fires. Um, there is a deconstruction of the FPS, a game called Receiver, in which the process of like holding, um, reloading, readying and firing a gun is overtly complicated. Uh, I believe he says there are like 16 different keys you have to press in total in order to like get the gun ready to fire and fire and the keys are different depending on what type of gun you're using. And so I haven't played that game but like from the footage I saw of it it just it's like this sort of take on like like shooting a gun in real life is very different from clicking your mouse in a video game and this game is to me is sort of trying to emphasize that. I don't know when I'm playing like doom that makes sense because like you, your character is literally named doom guy and you have mm -hmm. a gun and you just kill demons you know so it makes sense for that literally um he's just created to just kill um but if it's like you know um i don't know i can't think of anything else but like i guess rainbow six um again i'm gonna bring that up yeah that makes sense too but at the same time it's like um I don't know, I'm playing as a character, and I feel like the more human the person I am is, unlike I'm playing as, is that the more, like, the less it feels like what they described, you know? Um, and just, like, you know, even if it's just characteristics, you know, ranging from, like, Left 4 Dead, um, where you can, where your characters are just, like, you know, spouting things out and stuff, that it less feels like I'm just a gun, you know? And more feels like I'm playing as a character that's holding one or using a weapon to, you know, fight off zombies or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me and just like I guess the difference between like what type of shooter it is and and all all the such like, you know, Doom, you're just a guy. <laughs> you're Doom guy. You know those like um like sort of those like like arcade like hunting games where you like are holding yeah, like one of the yeah. bright orange gun and yeah. you're like trying to shoot deer and I mean right. I feel like that's oh, obviously not games. like what shooting a gun is actually like <laughs> but it's much more like realistic than you know just like moving your mouse and clicking or like you know using like the the thumbsticks to you know move your camera around 
And I guess it sort of still kind of requires those same kind of like twitch reflexes where you're like scanning the bushes <laughs> looking for a deer. I've only played one of these like one time before and I was like very, very small. Yeah, I mean, that's a first person shooter. It's just a, it's, it's just a different peripheral that you're using. Mm -hmm. I wonder what like the physicality of like actually having a, 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 a gun shaped object in your hands does compared to, um, I guess, maybe like a more immersive game. And just like how that changes your perception of like what's happening. I used to play Call of Duty 4 on the Wii with a gun with like that like Wii gun you have, thing. Like, a Wii gun? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you I've put only like seen the, the crossbow. <laughs> well, that's basically what it is. It's like oh, okay. you put the Wii controller in the front part and then you put like the nunchuck in the back. And it's like you hold it like a gun, but you can like move around with your right. Um, with your right hand, and then you aim by moving the whole thing. Um, I used to play the Call of Duty Four on like online and single player with that. Um, my perception was it was just annoying. <laughs> I'd rather be using a controller <laughs> mm -hmm. to do this. Um, and I know a lot of people felt the same way. Uh, just about like motion controls in general, though. VR is a little bit different though, so if you, you know, want to play, uh, you know, something similar to that in VR, that might be a completely different experience, I'm sure. Um, Travis, maybe. Oh, do they even have anything like that in VR yet, or is it there's just... A, there's a lot, um, like, VR games don't have a lot of, like, name power, but mm -hmm. there, there's, I think there's one called Insurgency, I might have the name completely wrong. Isn't that it's the... Like a VR shooter... Isn't Insurgency uh, just a... I think I have that That's game, actually. That's why I was saying I might have the name completely wrong. Okay. But it's something really generic along those lines. I think my experience, like, shooting these virtual guns in VR in, like, Superhot, for instance, in Superhot VR, I don't feel like I am... Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything super similar to using a gun in mm -hmm. real life, mostly because... These objects don't have any weight, yeah. Um, and so, like, I can I can hold like a very large gun, like a shotgun, with one <laughs> hand and like wave it around at like non physics adhering speeds. So, like, it, we actually I mean, it made just, it super it feels realistic. Like a, a different like method of aiming. Like, if the mm -hmm. game was not in VR, you would just be doing the same thing with a mouse, and it would just yeah. be like. Like, it, I, I think it's starting, it, like, very, very, like, on a very small scale, starting to blur the line, but if anything. But, like, it, it just, it, there's there's not really much of a correlation there. Like, I don't feel like I know what it feels like to shoot a shotgun because I, I have shot a, a virtual shotgun. I don't think that, like... I don't know. We're probably not going to get to that point in a very long time either, especially with... Well, I mean, you know, we might, but, like, with the way that, like, you know, gamers and, like, people are, like, one certain type of thing over the other, especially with, like, motion controls, I know a majority of people, um, just with motion controls outside of VR in general, just, like, don't want to use motion controls for anything in general, um, they just rather would use the regular controller, um, I'm just kind of speaking out of, uh, generalization, but, um, like, I don't think you'd want to be holding, like, a 20-pound, um, 
light machine gun in order to actually play this shooting game that you have in VR. It sounds pretty unconventional if you want it to be realistic. Um, unless you want to hold something that's 20 pounds just playing a video game for three hours, sure, but... Um, to the point, I mean, like, with VR and the way it's VR is going, it doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like it's gonna be very prevalent in gaming. Do you think that if someone had, like, a full motion VR rig and there was, like, a, like, a, like, metal like assault rifle peripheral or something and they spent a lot of time like in that game and it like looked and felt very real realistic do you think they would be more likely to like commit a shooting especially if they had like a lot of ingrained hatred or something um i i can't say anything on that it's besides that like so i wrote this article in college and i did a lot of research on it and like yeah i don't know um, I guess it just depends on the person. I don't know either. Because, you know, you're recreating something virtually, essentially, and, and uh, like I said, it all depends on the person, but, like, we have, I guess, some... the very small um, similarity to that in VR. Not that in general, where they have the rifle, they have, like, you know, this whole setup that's made to, like, immerse them, like, completely inside of a realistic situation. But, like, we have games where you hold these things to make a gun, or make it look like a gun, you know, in VR, and I guess that's the most similar thing. I don't think that it has, or will cause people to do anything regardless. I think it's just, like, like for example, if I were to be in that, or have something like that, personally, I would think it was cool, because I feel like I was in an action movie or something like that. Not in a real-life situation, you know? That's how yeah. I always think of it, like an action movie, like something obviously fictional, but that yeah. I could be a part of, you know, this, the escapism kind of situation, like GTA, you know, um, obviously you could do some pretty goddamn horrible things in that game, but, you know, it's, it's not causing people to do those things in real life, you know, but maybe it's a little different when you're physically doing the same thing that they're doing in the game. I don't know. I don't think it's gonna... I don't think it will cause anything. I wonder if it's sort of like the, the chicken and the egg question, where, you know, mm. you have, you know, people who are policemen are, I guess, are way more likely to also be wife beaters, and, like, does the police force just attract wife beaters, or do they become wife beaters because of the police force? Or do they sort of, like, happen concurrently because you sort of just are like so normalized, like you normalize violence in your life. Um, and you're also kind of like this aggressive person who needs to feel powerful. And so you're then attracted to positions where you do get to wield that power. Um, and so like, I don't know if, if, if like you do just get a really realistic feeling sort of experience in VR, if that would like turn people who otherwise were not kind of predisposed to be violent but i think it can sort of like exaggerate and make it worse or like mm -hmm. make their violence violent tendencies worse because i think i mean that's pretty much just like kind of like how like radicalization works um you know with with just like all of the the white supremacy just sort of like terrorist attacks um and just kind of like these people who already felt entitled 
to this sort of experience and they're being told that this is like getting taken away from them and they, you know, are kind of like called to arms against this like, you know, against the the invaders. I don't particularly feel like that's going to happen to everybody, obviously, mm. but um if you already do kind of like need to feel powerful because of violence, then maybe you would be more attracted to that. And then because you're already there, just sort of like the media that you're consuming is going to impact what you think is true and real. Well, at the same time, though, there's also the argument that's like there's a different problem if uh, the media you're consuming is causing you to do that, you know, and like that's a that's a whole different conversation in general where it's like, you know, if you're being affected by media, then there's there's a whole different problem. But um that yeah that does bring up an inter interesting question as well too it's like um even with that small possibility that one person is going to be affected by it is it still worth you know um i don't i guess it, violence in games would it just boil down to that would it just be violence in games or just brutality stuff like that uh i mean or, there's did my mic get really loud oh I, no, I mean, there's fine. there's a there's different uh there's a whole bunch of different conversations like what the one that we kind of started on was well, the headshot around yeah. the headshot, and I guess it just comes down to what happens when we get some new stuff and games progress, you know, or media progresses in general. I guess what what's going to happen when we have these more advanced things that we could do with games, and how are people going to react to it in the long run? So. Uh, let me come back to that, because there is a point I want to draw about that conversation. But before I wrap this section up, does anyone have any more, anything else that they want to add about um, the culture legacy of the headshot, uh, or twitch reflexes, or shooting to kill? Where was that generic voice that came from? What game was it where it's like, headshot? Like, every time you get a headshot. Isn't that Doom? What? It was, it was quake it was quake yeah you're right okay okay that answered my question but i mean that's a whole part of the the like as it is written the cultural legacy of the headshot and the mm. way that it is established as a a something that we can refer to as the headshot right like this is something you did it's interesting also how movies portray uh violent video games too that was fucking like grown-ups or something some stupid movie um he was playing this game called like Chainsaw Yacht something or like that. Okay. And it was just like this like you know what I'm talking about those games that are only in movies and TV shows that are just animated specifically yeah, for that parodies. obviously <laughs> <laughs> God damn it Travis. Okay. What? <laughs> I promise I'm not stupid. <laughs> No, but um, in that movie, like, uh, he's just like playing. It's like Granny Overboard, Headshot, yeah. like, uh, just like all this stuff. And it's just interesting to me how like movies will also portray um video games when I don't know. It's just it's just interesting seeing like the Hollywoodization, I guess, of video games. There's a clip he uses from something called Pure Ponage, which is a, like a really ancient. 
uh, clip from the internet where this guy is at his computer playing, I think, Counter-Strike, and he's just yelling, boom, headshot, boom, headshot. I've seen that video, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, and so he kind of talks about that oh, as, as sort of one of the initiating factors of, like, this sort of culture around the headshot and the way that we celebrate it. And it all boils down to like our portrayal of the headshot in video games, like how it's just become, you know, you don't think of it anymore. Twitch reaction, all that stuff. You don't think about it. You, you just get rewarded for it because you got a headshot. You got, you had accuracy, you had Twitch reaction. You had that, you had all that. I and, guess I just think it's sort of like yeah. a really unfortunate byproduct of uh, video game mechanics and how mm. the mechanics of the FPS has become so prevalent that that has sort of, to me, feels like has come out into society and is sort of then used as this sort of focal point for like the way that we talk about violence in real life and violence by police against people who they think like have a weapon or something when they don't. And the way that police talk about, like, they thought that their life was in danger, and so they did. Like shoot, shoot first, ask questions game, later. Just, like, yeah, the shoot first, ask questions later narrative. I feel like it just kind of shows just the power that narrative and storytelling and the media that we that we are, you know, using just kind of like where it may not kind of like actually have a correlating sort of effect on our realities but like it's the perception i think that's just really yeah it's an unfortunate like byproduct of like how of 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 i guess like how powerful these um or of how powerful media is in general i feel like that's a really boring statement and i wish i could make it a little bit more insightful i um, guess I, I think it's kind of specifically about like the formula and the mechanic that mm -hmm. these shooters use and how that has sort of become so ubiquitous, if that's hel helpful at all to what you're trying to say. Maybe not. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, I guess it was just like, especially just like going back to the like the Twitch reflexes um, and sort of like training the, the reflexes. I feel like that's just kind of like alarming because I feel like the only time when you would really need to have those reflexes would be kind of like when you were in trouble right or i guess if you're like you know trying to catch something that's falling off of like a table in your kitchen um uh well i'll link uh i'll link the video rationalizing brutality uh, and then as far as kind of the like the broader conversation that we have kind of been having and we kind of started last week wrapping up this week about like this idea that video games cause violence in real life like i i think the question kind of misses the point or like really misses the point um i the mechanics of video games certainly do not directly cause shootings but i think video games as a community do kind of foster this environment of hatred and create these safe spaces for people to like openly practice racism and hatred on the internet on 4chan on 8chan um gamer culture has kind of revolved around a lot of like like anger i would say especially around you know like a, a lot of games like call of duty for instance i think we really need to kind of focus on the way that 
those communities still continue to exist within the gaming community. And I don't know, just like that's always been such, to me, has felt like this big blight on the gaming community. But like a lot of these shooters come from these sorts of like message boards and, and forums and corners of the internet that are rev like revolve around video games. And so I don't know that it has any sort of direct correlation with like violent content in games or mechanics or anything i don't even think that that really matters i think it's it's more of just this alarming cultural um phenomenon where we see a lot of these white nationalists and killers come from groups that are about video games generally and that doesn't mean that video games have radicalized them it just it means that the communities that have been like formed around a lot of these video games have kind of been allowed to fester i guess mm -hmm. I, I read something earlier today about how like so uh, there was a period of time when like voice chat was kind of a like a very a very infantile thing and so people there were certain people in the community who would try to uh like raise alarm about uh toxicity i guess in general um, and so, like, clips of a lot of, like, toxic voice chat would go around the internet to the point where, like, Microsoft eventually was like, well, we needed to, like, do something about this to help because we don't want to have, like, a big optics problem here. And so what they ended up doing, because they didn't, like, they didn't want to push people away from their product, um, they felt that it would be detrimental to them to, like, do a lot of mass banning of, of people who were being toxic, being racist, being hate hateful. And instead, what they did was sort of set up this system where they would quarantine these people to be matched up with one another. And that, to me, was really alarming, like the way that th that almost feels like one of the ways that these sort of groups get started, like yeah. directly by something that Microsoft was doing because they didn't want people to look down on their product um, and they wanted to kind of play both sides from like a business perspective and a cultural perspective and kind of sweep the issue under the rug. I found that very interesting. And I like, I'm not surprised hearing about how that was sort of one of these in initiating factors and how like looking at the video game community today and knowing about like all the horrible pockets of it, like that, that's a, that's a very distinct, I think, connection. Definitely. And I feel like, you know, just with like the radicalization that can happen on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, where like these sort of like companies become complacent because they, you know, rely on the white supremacists who use their platforms to like keep posting content that gets, you know, people to watch ads, you know, buy like YouTube red subscriptions, I guess. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, I guess I know I had more things to say, but it's it's even more off topic, and I don't think we'll really add to the the original discussion. Um, no, it's fine. I already kind of wrapped up the original discussion. Um, I guess, um, just sort of like the question of like, oh, does banning people, you know, do, do they just find somewhere else to go, or is like a banning right, like right. an effective way to sort of like mediate what's okay? And I'm definitely in favor of banning people because I feel like by not banning them, you are sort of um, giving them a platform. Like you are normalizing and validating the space in a larger cultural context. Um, and that's, you know, where like, 
I feel like there's always going to be like crazy people who like watch conspiracy videos and, and have like these like ridiculous opinions. But it's like when that kind of like seeps into the larger kind of like cultural ethos, um, that's when, you know, real problems can happen. Instead of just being like, oh, well, you know, there's nothing we can do because they're always going to be there. You know, we need to keep them like separate and small and not give them platforms to um, go and spew their vitriol nastiness. Um, there's supposed to be a really big protest in Portland tomorrow. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's all over the Portland news there's just been a lot of discussion from like city politicians and from the police chief that um, giving, you know, like white supremacists or like Antifa showing up to like counter protest to these like white supremacists who are coming from like fucking Florida to, to come to Portland to have a protest is just sort of like enabling them. And um yeah, sure, it gives them the opportunity to make their, like, dumb propaganda videos. But I feel like by just, like, you know, not showing up to counter-protest, like, what does that show to the rest of Portland? Or, like, people who have been targeted by, you know, white supremacist violence. Like, there were people who were targeted with, like, Molotov cocktails in Southeast Portland last week. And, like, that's horrifying. You know, they were just, like, a queer couple, right? And, um... Jeez, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, but, um, it's... I don't know. I just feel like we ought to, you know, take a firmer stance on the um, just sort of like the the normalization that comes from excessive violence and and not like let. I mean, it's hard when, you know, like platforms like Twitter, um, you know, don't, you know, like to enforce their terms of service um, very, very evenly. Um, same with same with YouTube, um, because, you know, they, they do rely on hate to, like, pay the bills and to make money. I feel like, you know, as a as a as a community, I think the, the least we can do is is show up and not let or to, like, drown out the the protest that are not even protests. They're just sort of like hate rallies. Right. No, I mean, I guess I just wonder if, like if like i wish some big companies could like make an actual stand but i also feel like in a capitalist world where politics are very binary that doesn't really pan out and where our politics are deeply connected to corporations um yeah because I don't necessarily think that that would always be the case. And if, you know, our democracy was not actually just like an oligarchy. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's all. Um, okay. Just, I guess, wanting to, uh, you know what, never mind. It's fine. <laughs> all right. Caleb, do you have to head out? Cause yeah. Because I can, I can wrap this all up. I always feel like, I like, for some reason, I feel like I'm expected to have some sort of solution to these problems but that's very unrealistic that is very unrealistic please don't put that pressure on yourself <laughs> so i guess the least we can do is talk about these things and make sure yeah. that we're aware of these things and like i mean like there's a reason that like it's so easy to target the idea of video games it's because we like 
we allow these sort of communities to grow around them that are so built on like nationalism, um, anti-queerness, anti-people of color. Um, mm-hmm. um, America. Yep. Imperialism. Woo. Mario. We will, on that note, <laughs> we will bring this episode to a close. Caleb, um, where can people connect with you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Warwick underscore 51 or Yeti the Meme. Or uh, you can find me on Instagram at Caleb Warwick or uh, Yeti the Meme as well. If you want to follow me on Twitch, um, I will be more consistent in the future, hopefully. But you can follow me at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Yeti the Human. And yeah. Uh, Rebecca, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on twitter.com um, um, at r underscore markily. And then you can also find me on Instagram at zines and things. Hell yeah. Check out zines and things. Um, I exist on the internet at Adobo time. I almost forgot. Um, <laughs> Hit Point Pals is on the internet at hitpointpals.com. You can find all of our episodes there. Um, I'm trying to pull up, because uh, we've done some formatting things, I'm trying to pull up the, uh, the thing that used to be canned and now is not. Um, oh. If you've enjoyed the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a review, we would always appreciate that. And um, if you're enjoying our weekly chats, give us a shout out, let your friends know. Um, we always appreciate people who are, um, I'm just going to cut this down because now I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> and I use the word appreciate twice in a row. Oh no! Yeah, Uh, we will be back with more hard-hitting conversations about capitalism in the (laughs) future. Uh, (laughs) On that note, we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.